Thank you, brother. Can everybody hear me? Okay. Good. Good. Right. Well, we're going to be uh, looking at Ecclesiastes this morning. If you can turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're reading verses 1 through 3. So it's Ecclesiastes. One through three. So if you found it, you can follow along with me. <coughs> um, but before then, um, what I'd like to do to start through this uh, this series, I'm going to be, Lord willing, preaching through the, the book of Ecclesiastes. And today we're going to start uh, on that series. And going through the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to, Lord willing, go through it verse by verse and uh, line by line, and we can so we, that we can glean some wisdom from this book. Um, and the principle of doing this, we can find this in Isaiah uh, chapter 28, verse 10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here, the, here a little and there a little. I'm going to try and um, uh, expound on this book written by Solomon. Um, limited as I am, I'm going to try and reveal some of the wisdom contained within it, or at least what I've been able to learn. Uh, but not only the wisdom contained within it, but uh, also a number of really interesting correlations we can find throughout the Bible. And uh, maybe maybe a couple of rabbit trails as well, if we, if, we, if we have the time. Now, which I do hope that you will also find interesting, as much as I have uh, been, been preparing for this. And above all, what I want us to see is, is Christ through it all, uh, and most importantly, present the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ so that others may come to the saving knowledge of Him. Now, beginning with the name of the book, Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes is a Greek word translated from the Hebrew word for preacher, is kahal, which means to assemble, assembly leader, or preacher. Now, it's where we get the word uh, um, ecclesia, or ecclesia, as some, some, some pronounce it. It's from the, the uh, which means uh, called out assembly. It's a called out assembly, which is what we are. Um, now, which, by the way, is, uh, I'll have you know, is, is local. It has a geographical location. Uh, it is physical and is made up of people called together. We are called out together into one place to worship. The way the book is written appears to be written in a reflection of the author's uh, lifetime. So it's more than likely written later in his life. Now today we're going to look at the first three verses of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is what uh, I've titled this message, Under the Sun. And if, we, if you've got your place in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 3. The words, words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, do thank you for this, this day. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we can hear your word and hear your word preached clearly and through 
through your word, pray that you would help us to uh, be, f uh, be edified, and Lord, that we might learn something new from your word. And Lord, we may have read this verse, uh, these verses many times, but Lord, we pray that you'd, you'd help us to uh, have our hearts uh, open uh, and uh, eager to hear. And Lord, pray you'd help me now as I, I, as I present this, this message. Lord, pray that um, hearts will be ready. And Lord, that you would help me to present it clearly. And Lord, I'll thank you for this. And we thank you for all these things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to go through this verse by verse. But we need to have some groundwork. We need to understand um, what it is that we... Our reading, uh, there we go, I'll get through this, I'm trying to go through the slides, but they're not working, so I think somebody else at the back will have to do that for me. So we are going to look at the authorship of this book. So who wrote it? First of all, we're going to look at the author of this book and who wrote it. We, will, we all know that the Word of God was written by holy men of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We know this by 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now our first verse of Ecclesiastes tells us clearly who penned this book. Ecclesiastes 1.1 states, The words of a preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, these, these, from this verse, we know a number of things about the author. Uh, firstly, we know he's a preacher. Now, the, the, the Hebrew word uh, that, uh, which is uh, translated preacher is koheleth, which means, uh, which also can be translated as uh, convener or somebody who calls people together. And that's the first thing, he's a preacher. Secondly, he's the son of David. So now we can find this in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, and Jesse begat David, the king, and David, uh, the king, begat Solomon of her that uh, had been the wife of Uriah. 2 Samuel twelve twenty four says, And David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went un in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. So, the son of David. We know that David had more than one son. But we, we know that uh, we are going to go with Solomon in this one because of the final piece of the, the puzzle in this verse, which is the author was king in Jerusalem. Which son of David was, uh, which son of his was, was king? Well, there was only one. And that was Solomon. And 1 Kings 2.12 says, Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. So we know who, who authored this. We know who wrote this because of the very first verse. It gives us proof of it. So who fits these characteristics? Now, David had more than one son, which is true, but the son of David, who was also king of Jerusalem, that kind of narrows it down to one possibility. Solomon. This was widely accepted for centuries. It was only until the Reformation when Luther came along and that he doubted the authorship of Ecclesiastes because of the style of writing. Which is quite incredible. 
But the very first verse tells us clearly who it was. There's no doubt. But also not only do we need to know the, uh, the author, but what is the author? Who is he writing to? And what is the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of this book is to instruct the youth of the world from his own pool of experience and wisdom. Now, he thought of, of life. Um, he said that life is vanity if God is not the point of reference for everything. And two, God must be the epicenter of life for one to find the only satisfaction in this world of vanity. This is what he's trying to, to, uh, to relay. And, and if you think about Solomon, he, he had a, a, a large uh, harem. He had a lot of wives. But he didn't have very many children. I think that probably was a judgment on him but we won't go down that rabbit trail but what we we find is that if we if we look at the book of ecclesiastes as if uh, it's a, a father writing to his son it'll greatly help you in understanding what he's trying to relate he's trying to give wisdom to to his son if you if you imagine that and i don't i don't think for a second that he knew, uh, that he he didn't think this when he was writing i think he probably was trying to give pass on some of this wisdom I mean, we think about who Solomon was. He was the, the wisest man who ever lived. Surely he would want his son to have some, some of this wisdom that God has given him and blessed him with. And I think this is, if we, if we look at it through, through the, that lens, I think it'll help us to, to understand what he's trying to relay in these verses. And if we go to the next uh, uh, slide, we're going to look at the underlying theme of, um, of this book. Um, and the first part is emptiness. If we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Now, a question we might ask yourself is, what is vanity? What does this mean? Now, the word, uh, what the word of God is telling us here is that the word vanity means emptiness. It is derived from the Hebrew word havel, uh, which occurs 30 times in this book, which means empty or worthless, nothing. The same word can be found in Genesis. If we look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, I'll let you, if you want to turn to that, Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. It says here, And she, this is Eve, again bare his, uh, his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, the word Abel is what I'm pointing to. Is The Hebrew word for Abel is Havel, which is empty, worthless, nothing. Why would Eve call Abel such, such a horrible name? Well, Havel, or Abel, is empty or worthless, nothing. Eve's second-born son, which is key, because Eve thought Abel as being worthless because she believed God had already fulfilled the promise of Genesis 3.15. 
Let's look at Genesis 3.15. If we look at Genesis 3.15, it says, uh, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt uh, bruise his heel. In Genesis 4.1, says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve thought in her head that uh, Cain was the promise, the Messiah. Because if we think of the, the, the meaning of Cain, Cain, which means begotten, or I have gotten, Eve thought Cain was the Messiah, the promise of 3.15. She believed that. And so when Abel was born, she, she gave him a name a fitting, or so she thought, to him, of being worthless, of being of no, no worth, spiritually speaking. Because she already thought that Cain was the Messiah. So what we get from this is that the author is telling us <coughs> all things of this world is vanity, is emptiness. The material wealth and all that we labor for is vanity, emptiness, worthless, of no use, spiritually speaking. And all the world offers is vanity and vexation of spirit. The world, all that the world offers us is that, is emptiness and, and unsatisfaction. The next point I'd like to go through is, uh, is labor. So there's another theme of this verse, uh, these first three verses, the underlying theme we have uh, emptiness, and now we're going to have labor. Now, it says in Ecclesiastes 1.3, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? We are presented here with a question. It's what I believe to be a rhetorical question. What profit hath a man? Well, we all know that uh, there, is no, there is no profit, it's vanity. Of all your labor, th there is no worth. It's, it has no worth to you spiritually. You have th it doesn't profit you at all. The Hebrew word for labor is amal, which means, to, to, uh, which means a hard worker or laborer. Uh, it's, uh, we are reminded of the labor of man with Adam. Uh, I'm going to be going to Genesis quite, quite a lot with this because I think it's, 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 it's where the firsts of, of the, the Bible are all stated. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. But um, so we're going to look at Adam, the first man, and all his labor. After all the, the struggle and labor of his life, of Adam's life, we are presented, and he is presented, with a bleak end to life. So we look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 19, and it says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread thou, uh, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So Adam was, was uh, presented with uh, a life full of labor, of hard work. I mean, when he would grow something, when he would sow something, a seed, 
it wouldn't it wouldn't be easy for it to grow in 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 free flood he'd he'd struggle he would be uh it says in in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread so he'd have to work for every morsel that he that he got and he would have to work hard he would work the ground he would sow and he would and and when things would grow not only would the thing that he wants to grow would grow but other things thorns and thistles would would spring up and would it would hamper the, the growth of what he wanted so he struggled through life and not only that after the life after he'd struggled throughout his life he would be presented with uh, this last verse for out for out of it wast thou taken for dust thou art and unto, uh, and unto dust shalt thou return and to the end of life now we are also told all the labor and struggle of his life is common to man everyone experiences this under the sun it says it means on earth so anybody on earth so th- all this labor that he's he's that adam uh was presented with and what uh, solomon is 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 clearly saying here is that all the labor which is taken under the sun which means that all the labor that he's he's saying even back then when he was alive is is still the same today it is it's applicable to us today the labor that we have to endure and what we have to do is 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 common to men there is there's no difference and we need to realize that it is common to us and we know that it is common and solomon uh, repeats this in this book five times he says that uh, these things of, of earth are common to everyone and labor is common to all. We all will labor. And Ecclesiastes 5.15 says, As he came forth out of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he, he may carry away in his hand. So not only do we have to labor through, through life, and some people might think that building up things, building up riches, and laboring through your life uh, and building material things is going to do you some good uh, as you get to later in your life and at the end of life. But we know from this, there's n- you cannot take any of it with you. You can labor for, for your entire life for things and build them up, have a house, have things in your house, have a car and all these things. But in the end, it's, it's, it's worthless. It's emptiness, it's vanity. The preacher says all is vanity. Even the things you labor for is vanity. Now, you can spend your entire life laboring for something. And if God is not in it, it's empty. It's nothing. Rather, we should focus on what would profit us spiritually because life without God is vanity, is emptiness. It is all emptiness. And pursuing after vanity produces emptiness. The world recognizes this. The world gets these things because they get into the things of this life that are damaging, like drugs and alcohol and all these other things, trying to find meaning or satisfaction. Sometimes people labor for different reasons. Some people labor for material goods. Some people labor for to, to get something. Uh, not, but 
this doesn't, it, all it does is it leads us to emptiness. It leads us to vanity. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help us spiritually. It doesn't, it doesn't satisfy us in any way. And all we'll find is that we will find emptiness and unsatisfaction. This all leads to hopelessness and it's, it's futile. In some cases, in extreme cases, all this labor and searching and finding and, and looking for something uh, ends in unsatisfaction and de depression and eventually some succumb to suicide and taking their own lives because they find no satisfaction in life. They work their entire lives and find nothing at the end and find emptiness. In Ecclesiastes 5.16 says, and, and this also is sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? It's what he's trying to express here is uh, all this labor, searching and, and, and trying to find satisfaction in this world and working for things and trying to build up things is like laboring for wind. And what he's expressing is he's striving. You, you, you're trying to gather wind. It's a, as if you're working to gather wind in a jar. It's like you going out with an empty jar and trying to catch wind. And then when you close the lid, you think, oh, yes, I've got wind. And you open it and you think the wind's going to start blowing out of it. That's, it. that's what he's trying to express. It, it's, it's absurd. It, it's, it, doesn't, it, it will never satisfy you. It's like striving after wind. It's like you keep trying to catch the wind, but you never get anything. All you're getting is, empty, is air and emptiness. The jars are still empty. You never fill that, that jar with anything. Ecclesiastes 6, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. If you turn there, I think it would be good to, to turn, turn to it, to, to get to grips with what this, what he's trying to portray here. And he says in Ecclesiastes 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, Yea, though I live a thousand years twice told, Yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Imagine living 2,000 years. Imagine living since, since Christ was crucified on the cross. If you lived from then till now, 2,000 years, in a world of vanity, striving after wind, as, as Solomon puts it, laboring. Laboring for emptiness and nothingness. At the end of the 2,000 years of working and laboring after these worldly things, all you're going to have is emptiness and nothing. Do you think it will gain you any satisfaction in doing this? Nothing. It won't give you any satisfaction. Not a bit. You'd, you'd have 2,000 years of vexation of your spirit. That's all you'll be ended with. You would be end with uh, unsatisfaction. You'd have no satisfaction. You'd still be thirsty for something that you cannot attain. You'd be working your whole life. If you lived even 2,000 years, he says, you'd still not be satisfied with, with all that you've been able to achieve. 
So we could live a thousand years twice and yet still have no satisfaction from the emptiness of life without God. Man's labor is for his mouth, it's for your, for your daily provision, food. Yet man will always get hungry again. He will never be satisfied of things of this world. But what we do know is if we have our hearts and minds set on the Lord Jesus Christ and we have our reference, our frame of reference on him, we will be satisfied. Next, I'd like to look at the word prophet in this first few verses of Ecclesiastes. The question, what does it, what does all our profit, uh, what does our, oh, sorry, what does all our profit, uh, sorry, labor profit us, uh, is also found in the book of Mark. If you look at book of Mark, uh, chapter 8, verse 36, chapter 8, verse 36. says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is it worth? What is it all worth? All our laboring and getting things and building up wealth and material things. What does it gain us? What is it? What do we get? out of it. What is it worth to us? Rather than feeling satisfied, all we will have is the stuff that we have and all it will do is vexate our spirit because we will have no satisfaction in, in the things that are around us. It's like how S Solomon puts it, it's like striving after wind. It's emptiness. You won't get your satisfaction. You won't get satisfaction. In Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. All the labor of life is vanity. Without God, the only and this only leads to vexation of spirit and emptiness. So all the labor of life is, is emptiness without God. Life without God is vanity, which is not only uh, has a, a, a temporal uh, effect on us while we're on earth, but it also has eternal consequences. If we don't have our point of reference, if we don't have our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an eternal consequence that awaits us. Ecclesiastes 1.3 says, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? All our labor and striving leads to emptiness and leads to naught, leads to nothing. It leads to us being unsatisfied spiritually. Genesis 3.19 says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. In the end, all our worldly labor profits us nothing. We can't take it with us. It says Ecclesiastes 6, 6 and 7 says, Yea, though I live a thousand years twice, we've just read, yet and see no good, do not all go to the one place. We're all appointed once in our life to die. 
we're all going to see our maker. We're all going to die someday. And if you do without God, you'll go to a place called hell. There is no doubt about that. Hebrews 9.27, and it says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment. Death is not the end. When we die, that's not the end. Some people think the lights go out and that's it, but that's not true. We're all appointed once to die. But there is a judgment after that. So what is the answer to all these things? So what is the answer to the emptiness and labor and the, I would say, the, uh, the loss, not the profit, of, of this, of life, of the emptiness of life? What, what, is, what is the answer to this? Um, now, you don't have to labor for what God has freely offered. We don't have to labor for it. That's the that's the uh, the amazing thing about it. We d- we don't have to 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 labor for what God has freely offered. You don't have to strive for wind, as Solomon puts it, for emptiness. You don't have to strive for it. All you need to do is put your faith and trust in the Lord, and believe the gospel of Christ. One Corinthians fifteen three to four says how that. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that's the gospel if you believe that and you put your faith and trust in what Christ has done on the cross that he took your sins on, on his shoulders you believe that he died and he was buried and he rose again the third day if you believe that and you put your trust in him and him alone not in the labors of this world, not in the, the unsatisfaction of, of these things, because it, what does it profit us if we lose our own soul? Once you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, continue in the work. Continue in the work of the Lord. Once you've done that, your labor is no longer empty. It's no longer empty. And the profit from your labor, as long as it's in the Lord, is eternal riches, eternal treasures. So once we've done that, we're no longer, life is no longer empty. Vanity, uh, labor is no longer vanity, no longer emptiness. Uh, if we, we need to keep striving together, not striving after wind, not striving after the things of this world, but striving after the things of God. Striving after uh, uh, the things of God together. He's a preacher. He's, he's calling out people into, to assemble. We as a church are call, uh, a number of people called out to worship God. And our labor now, if it's in Christ, is not in vain. It's not vanity. It's not emptiness. Because we are of like, like faith, we believe that, that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. We believe that. And so the labor that we do now no longer is vanity, but is, is in the Lord. What we do now counts. 
what we do now has meaning and satisfies. It no longer leaves you an emptiness in your heart. It now gives you purpose and now gives you a satisfaction knowing that what you're doing is no longer of your own uh, benefit, but you're doing it because you're doing it for the Lord and the Lord is in it. Now, do not only should we labor for the Lord, but we shouldn't do it half-heartedly. We shouldn't do this. Any, anything that we do, we shouldn't do it half-heartedly because we only have one opportunity in which to do it. We have one chance to do it in this life. Every little thing that we do, we only have one chance because time doesn't stop. Time keeps going. Once you've missed that, that opportunity, you've lost it. It's no longer, a, you, can go, you can't go back and do it again. If you've done something that's not of the Lord, don't dwell too much about it, but change your mind, repent of it, and focus in on, on, the, on the now and working for the Lord in, in the now and doing His will for your life. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Uh, this is a very familiar verse. I've seen it on somebody's business card, I'm sure. Or maybe website. Uh, maybe Brother, Brother Stu can, ex uh, can explain this to, to somebody. So now, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And that's right. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. When you die, that's, that's your time on this earth is up. You can't come back and, and have another, another go to do something with all your might. The time has passed. The chance is missed. Let's, let's, let's focus on this verse. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do with all thy might. And ensure that it's, it within, it's what God wants you to do. And it's in the will of God you. Finally, remember that your labor in the Lord is not vanity and will not vexate your spirit either. It will lift you up. It will edify you. If it doesn't edify you, then maybe you're not doing what the Lord wants you to do. Right? But rather, we, what we rather are we doing, instead of laboring for, uh, sorry, finally, when we, we, when we are uh, when we labor in the Lord, uh, it's not vanity and will not vexate our spirit, but rather it will build up treasures in heaven and it will always satisfy. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. Be unmovable and be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is never in vain in the Lord. It's never empty. It's never unsatisfying. It never vexes your spirit. Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break in, break through, or, nor steal. 
what we do in the Lord will not return void. What we do in the Lord will not be empty. What we do for the Lord will lay up treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. It will be remembered. The things of this earth you cannot take with you. But the things we do for the Lord does. So let's make sure that when we do labor, we know that the profit in which our labor is, is, is wrought is for the Lord. And it is remembered. You're laying up treasures in heaven. Not building up materials here on earth. And what satisfies you worldly will not last because you always get hungry again for something more. People, when they, they, they win lots of money, will be happy for a short period of time. Give them a few more weeks, they'll return to how they were before. Because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have any lasting effect. But your labor in the Lord will have a lasting effect. If anybody here has led somebody to the Lord, they'll remember every single one they have done. Every person that you've led to the Lord, you will remember. And you'll remember and you'll have a, you'll feel, when you reminisce on it, you'll feel happy about it. It has a lingering uh, effect. It doesn't, it doesn't fade. That feeling when you lead somebody to the Lord. When you, if you lead somebody to the Lord tomorrow, you'll have that same feeling you did when you led somebody to the Lord the first time. It's, it's, it's a, a feeling that doesn't fade. It, it satisfies. And it'll have dividends in heaven. You'll, you'll see, you'll be laying up treasures in heaven for what you do, so long as it's in the Lord. So remember this verse. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor where thieves do where sorry, and where thieves do not break in, break through or steal. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, do thank you for this uh, day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that we had to look at your word, and Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts even now about um, the labor that we we do and Lord whether it is uh, in the Lord or uh, in the flesh and Lord we just pray that you would uh, help us now to to uh, continue in the work of the Lord as uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord our labor is never in vain in you, Lord. Pray that you'd help us to be reminded of that. And Lord, that we would continue in it. And Lord, we pray that you would lift up your saints. And Lord, we pray that you would lift uh, your church here in Skelmersdale. Lord, that we might be a light unto the darkness in this area. And Lord, that we might uh, be a testimony. And Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, now the people that have been here, that are here. And Lord, that if there's anybody, anybody who's not saved, Lord, they might come to the knowledge of your, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he died and was buried, and he rose again the third day, 
Lord, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.